gates open, off and stylish sensory state in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. The pedigrees of racing participants sometimes run as deep as those of the thoroughbreds themselves. That theory certainly applies to Alan Gologly, who's been known as Jock since his earliest days as an apprentice in Brisbane. His father was jockey Alan Gologly Sr., who carried the same nickname from an early age. His maternal grandfather was the legendary Fred Best, winner of a record 17 Brisbane trainers' premierships and an Australian Racing Hall of Fame inductee. His uncle Noel Best holds the distinction of winning premierships as an apprentice jockey, as a senior jockey and as a trainer. It was his grandfather who insisted on paying his school fees at the Nudgee College, where he gained five valuable years of education. Fred Best was reluctant to apprentice his grandson, but finally relented when he realised young Alan's school credentials would stand him in good stead if things didn't work out. Grandfather provided young Jock's first winner and helped him to win the 1970-71 Brisbane Apprentices Premiership. He also trained Alan's only Group 1 winner, the talented Ben Galler lad, in the 1972 Doomben 10,000. Following a stint in Western Queensland and an eight-month tenure with George Moore in Hong Kong, Jock was persuaded by trainer Eric Sanford to try his luck in Newcastle. He agreed to a one-month's trial. He went on to win a jockey's premiership and he is still in Newcastle working as official track clocker for top trainer Chris Lees. There are many other facets to the Jock Gologly story which we'll cover in the podcast. Jock Gologly, thanks for your time and by golly you've crammed a lot into 70 years, haven't you? I sure have, John, and uh, good morning to you. Lovely to talk, Jock. Now, your current role as track work clocker for Chris Lees is a very busy one because he trains a huge team of horses, and I imagine things would get pretty hectic for a couple of hours in the mornings. Where do you actually work from? Uh, We have a room built at the back of the grandstand straight opposite the winning coast, 
Uh, it was built by the Newcastle Jockey Club probably five years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm there at probably 4.30, 4.35, and Chris usually starts working his horses uh, at 5.30. Mm. He goes through till 8 a.m., um, but he gets through 100-plus horses in that short time, mm. but two hours anyway, because he's got so many talented jockeys and track work riders lining up to ride them each morning. Mm. You'd get to know many of the horses by sight, I'd imagine, but you'd be looking for white markings, wouldn't you? Coat, colour, any distinguishing yeah. features at all? Well, when I was clocking for everyone until made redundant, like a lot of other people in June 2020 by the sportsman, mm. yeah, you've got to find a white diamond on the head or a three pastons, mm. one off hind, pasted only. Um, also, I I go to barrier trials a lot, John, so mm. that's where you see – or race days, and that's where I, in my 30-year tenure clocking, I – wrote markings in my race book. So that 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 always helped me um, identify one. Mm. Um, I joined numerous times trainers that put one over me because they wanted to back one. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's been going on for 200 years. Even young Lee's did it to me one day. He had an owner who liked to bet and I got in the enclosure. He kept calling his source... <laughs> Billy Jones, uh, Billy Jones. I said, Billy Jones goes well. Mm. He said, Yeah, he's a good, he's a good horse. He's a, he's a hasn't had a start yet, right? Mm. So I'm in the enclosure watching the horses parade this day, and bugger me, dead. There's Billy Jones, <laughs> called called Barabucci. Mm. And I thought this is nice. So I go to the betting ring, ran out, knocked about ten people over. Well, Barabucci was six to one into evens by the time I got there. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Anyway, I was about to blow up after the race, and he pulled me aside, Chris, and said, oh, "I backed it for you, son. Don't worry." Oh, I said, "Right." Yeah. He didn't leave. <laughs> didn't leave yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, Jock, what happens when all the horses are worked? Is there a briefing back at the stables? Um, you mean me or? Yeah, are you involved in any post-track work briefing? Um. Yeah, not back at the stables. I send these days email. Mm. I email all my track work, which I have a book. I email that to Kristen by about 9am. He'll ring me to see if I thought anything come up the best 200 or anything I liked. Mm. And the big thing in track work, some jockeys or some riders are for, say, 61, 62 kilos. And if you know if they can run thirty four, mm. you've got to take that into account because because of the you know the weight that they're carrying in a little six hundred meter gallop. Mm. We'll come back to Newcastle later, but for now let's go back to the beginning. You completed five years at Nudgee College, and although not keen to apprentice you, grandfather finally relented. Yeah, John, it was. Um, 64, 1964 to 1968, I did five years at boarding school at Nudgee, and um, I came out, and Granddad said, oh, and Mum and Dad, well, what do you want to do now? you want to be an accountant? Do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be <laughs> or everything? And I said, 
no, I still want I want to be a jockey. Well, I nearly fell off the dining room chairs. And mm. anyway, as you said in the introduction, um, Granddad and my parents said, "Okay, you've had a good education. Uh, you weren't the star of the school, but that might help you later on in life if you decide to give away riding." And as we'll talk about later, it helped me when I got through to the journalism part of the game, yes. Mm. Well, your grandfather, your late grandfather, Fred Best, was a remarkable trainer, remarkable horseman. He started his career in Townsville before moving to Brisbane and he became champion trainer 17 times. You don't do that without having some sort of special talent. What were his strong points, Jock, looking back? Uh, probably strong points were he was very astute at the yearling sales, especially New Zealand. Um, he saw these handy horses by the likes of Lee Falu and Alcimedes and at, at an early stage. And um, even though he went to sales everywhere, New Zealand was his was his um, point of contact, mm. and he had some very good owners. And he was also not a hard worker of his horses, and he fed them extremely well. You, you know, he was a head and shoulders above people. Mm. I remember Mister, this big uh, pot of barley would be made every Saturday after the last race. He'd come home and mm. stir this huge pot, like a forty-four gallon drum full of barley for his twenty horses, mm. not just the ones that race that day. He'd boil and it. I've always be- yeah, boil, boil, boil. Mm. And I always believe when you saw those horses in the next three, four days, you could see glows in their coat. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. His son, Noel, Jock, as we mentioned yeah. earlier, your uncle, won a Brisbane mm. Apprentices Premiership. He won two Brisbane Jockeys Premierships and later he won a Trainers Premiership. Great rider, Noel Best. He had a dreadful struggle with weight, though, didn't he? Johnny could barely ride under, I'll talk in kilos, probably 55, 56 kilos. Mm. And um, even his other jockeys, even in Sydney and Melbourne, always talked about Noel as one of the best of his era. Mm. And he won, uh, he started off in 1948. His first major was the Dooman 10,000 mm. on a very good horse, I gather what he's told me, called Murray Stream. Mm. And he was 18, and the horse had nine stone four, going back to the old days now, 59 mm. kilos. Yeah. So if he was 18-year-old, he's an apprentice, mm. he's ridden the top weight and favourite in a Dooman 10,000, so that's the esteem that he was held in. Yeah, great tribute. You know, you're talking about one of the most versatile top-class gallopers of the era when you talk about Murray Stream. You've just said he won a Doomban 10,000. The same horse, Jock, won two AJC Metropolitans, 1945 and 1947, over the 13 furlongs. Gosh, he was a good horse. Noel also won a Queensland Derby, our best horse in that era. Granddad's best horse was called Booklink. Mm. Um. And 1959, Noel won the Queensland Derby on Booklink. Um, a few years later, 56, John, 56 Queensland Derby. And a few years later, mm-hmm. as you know, 
they had a Queen's Cup, but it was run in a capital, different capital city every year. Yep. And in 59, Booklink was in the Queen's Cup. Oh, I think Noel had to take off about three or four kilos to ride him, and he wanted to because Princess Alexandra came from London mm. to present the trophy. And it was a memorable day. Look, I'm eight-year-old then. Um, Noel rode it. Granddad trained it. My other uncle, Kevin, strapped it, and my grandmother owned it. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. lovely stuff. So that was Uncle Noel's brush with royalty. That's it. Yeah, I've still got the photo here. I look at a lot. Yeah, yeah. Special mention of your dad, Alan Gologly Sr., best remembered yep. as a, a good Brisbane lightweight rider who was actually apprenticed in Sydney in the early days to a great old trainer called Mick Polson who years before Alan had trained a great horse called Wanuka, uh, amongst his wins was a Doncaster with 63 kilos. Now, he was trained by the man that was the master of your dad. Yeah, your dad did his five years. He came from all his family uh, from Ingham, north of Townsville. They're on the sugarcane farms. And dad got on the train as a 14-year-old from Ingham to Sydney had five years with Mick Polson. He rode with a he rode with a lot of success. He um, never got to the Group One stage, and after finishing his apprenticeship and spending another year or so in Sydney, he moved to Brisbane in probably the 1949. So he was mm. Brisbane 49 till he passed away. Mm. And Dad, oh look, he was a just a good lightweight rider. Yep. Um, he'd ride more in the country or provincials, a um, couple of rides each, Saturday at Doomben or Eagle Farm. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, do you want to mention, John, the disqualification in 63? I was going to mention it. You know, back in the day when racing people lived by their wits and when prize money was scant, it was common for an astute trainer to save a horse until a more suitable race came along. Now, on Boxing Day 1963, your grandfather and his son-in-law, your dad, overdid the waiting tactics with a mare called Ula La at Eagle Farm. Now, the stewards took a dim view of it and both dad and grandfather were relieved of their briefs for 12 months. That's what you call a major setback. Was a major setback. Funny thing, um, Ulala was fifty to one this day, and after the last race, they were a fair while getting home. And uh, in they walk with white ashen faces, and the chief steward then Clive Morgan gave them twelve months on a running and handling charge. And the fun, another <laughs> Clive Morgan used to come to Fred to his house after the races every Saturday for a couple of scotches. <laughs> and I remember Fred saying, he won't be coming through that door today. Mm. So, away we go. I'm about to head to boarding school a month later, January 64. Yeah. Mum and Dad were battling. And uh, they said, we can't afford this. And I don't know what we're going to do with Alan. Granddad, to his credit, said, don't lose any sleep. I'll pay to put him through boarding school. Yeah, me. Yeah. So 
away I went. So then we get 12 months later, Boxing Day 1964, Fred and Dad, they're free. Oolala is in a transition handicap a year later. First day they're back on the track, was back from 16s to 4s and trotted in. <laughs> they were good judges, both of them. He said, I can let Clive Morgan come through for a scotch tonight. <laughs> Alan, you lost your dad in 1992 with kidney failure. He was 67 yes. years old. Obviously had a yeah, tremendous influence on your young life. He, he did. He was, a, he was a great mentor, Dad. He was not one to go to the races when he finished riding. Well, he worked for my granddad after he finished riding. Mm. He was not one to go to the races a lot. He's like listening on the radio before the TV came. And he, um, he passed on me a lot of advice, uh, especially life Life more so than riding. So, yeah, 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 he's a wonderful man. You've already mentioned Book Link as one of the good horses trained by your grandfather. Uh, he won a Doomben Cup later with George Moore on board, but he had another good one called Prince Medes, a Stradbroke winner, ridden by the late Colin O'Neill. And of course, he trained Ben Galilad, who won a Doomben 10,000 with young Jock Galogli in the saddle. Uh, now back then, he was he was he was one of my mentors, John. Just now you mentioned that as far as riding goes, mm-hmm. uh, Colin O'Neill. Yeah, he, he he took me under his wing in those days, and uh, yeah, he was a great rider, another heavyweight actually. But yeah, he was great. Back then, the Stradbroke was run before the ten thousand, and you ran second on Ben Galilad in the Stradbroke, and it took a pretty good one to beat you, didn't it? Oh, this big boy I thought I was home, and. Uh, this big white face loomed alongside me, chestnut with a big white face, and they hit the line, and Larry Olsen on the chestnut, he looked across him and he said, sorry, Jock, he beat me on Triton. <laughs> he was always a gentleman. Yes. <laughs> Your great childhood mate, uh, Bart Sinclair, journalist and commentator, told me in a podcast recently that there were doubts about your retaining the ride on Ben Galilad in the Doombin 10,000. And you sensed it too, didn't you? You thought you were in trouble. Yeah, Granddad was in a pretty ordinary mood for a couple of weeks between the Stradbroke and the 10,000, and uh, a few jockeys, local jockeys, uh, told me, look, you might you better be careful. We're hearing that the Sydney and Melbourne top hoops are ringing up, and mm. a few of the locals... And I said, oh, well, what will be will be, but I dropped my jaw in hearing that. Anyway, I waited and waited. You know, you had to wait. What was it then, John? Thursday acceptances, Mm. I think. Thursday acceptances. And uh, my name was on Ben Galilad at Declaration Time. I let out a whoopee at home Mm. and uh, just went about my business. Yes, I rode him in the Doom of 10,000. Remember it like it was yesterday. And he made a mess of them. He beat his old foe, uh, Charlton Boy, by oh, a couple of links. Where were you in the run? And, Where? Oh, yeah, fifth the paint. Yeah. No names mentioned. Jockey in front of me, they all started to go about the 500, and I'm fifth the paint. All I've got to do is get inside the leader. Mm. So coming to the turn, I yelled out, it's Jock. He was on a 200 to 1 chance. Well, John, he never moved off one horse. He fin- he moved out as far as the airport. And Vic, 
<laughs> Vince Curry said Alan Gologly has got a miracle rails run. Yeah. And he went on and won. So after the race, I had a couple more rides that day, and my granddad said, how much did you promise that bloke that ran off on the turn? I said, a couple hundred. He said, give him four. He done a great job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're great stories, mate. Now, the owner of the horse was a grazier from Gundawindi by the name of Ron Humble, and he went in to bat for you, didn't he? He was probably responsible for your retaining the ride in the 10,000. Yeah, from day one I rode Ben Geller, um, track work races, etc. And when this came up, uh, it all came out afterwards, of course, but Mr Humble stuck with me like glue mm. to the point where he rang my grandfather from Gundawindi, I think, on the Wednesday before the 10,000. He said, I'm hearing some rumours. If Alan doesn't ride that horse, you will lose the horse, Fred. So yeah, that was that. A show of loyalty. It was. Mm. Let me remind you of an extraordinary day in 1974 when you put yourself under enormous stress, but it was all worth it. You took a ride in the first race at Doombin and you took rides in the last four races at the Gold Coast. How the hell did you do it? Well, race one at Doombin was, say, one o'clock and race... My first ride down at the coast was about 3.15, and I knew with the roads those days, I couldn't make Brisbane Gold Coast in that time. And they were really four top chances, these ones at the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. So I hired, I hired a seaplane, <laughs> which <laughs> the airport's right next to Doombin. So I, go, I jumped on the seaplane. I had a taxi waiting for me at Southport, got there, Still had my silks on, John. I never got changed. I just ran to the port. Mm. And um, lo and behold, four winners. They all won. They all won. You're a good judge. (laughs) Goodness me. So you've ridden five winners in the space of four or five hours. That's right. And I didn't get the seaplane home. I said to the pilot, here's the money. You go back on your own, fly back on your own. I'm going to party at Surface Paradise. I'm having a night out. (laughs) That's it. Beyond doubt, the best day of your riding career. Um, yes, it was, yeah, by far, yeah. Mm. Apart from the 10,000, but yes. Yeah. Now, Jock, I've never interviewed a jockey who's ridden a Port Moresby Cup winner. How the hell yeah. did that happen? Oh, God, looking. Yeah, around this time, about the time of the seaplane, actually, a guy rang up and said... Uh, Alan Gologly, it's Bob Tozer here. I'm ringing from Port Moresby, right? He said, I think I could win the Port Moresby Cup and would you like to ride my little horse? Well, I'll ring you back. So I rang around. Did I have any future uh, upcoming rides on that day, blah, blah? And I said, ring him back. I said, I'll be there. Didn't know anything about Port Moresby except I went to Nudgee College with a few kids who lived there. Um, so it was a tight little what? 1,200-metre track, bit of dirt, bit of grass. And lo and behold, uh, lo and behold, I won the cup. But pre-John, a bloke came in, a trainer at Port Moresby, and said, would you like to familiarise yourself with the track? I've got a ride for you in race one. Mm. I said, that's lovely. Thank you. I went out in front of the jockey's room, and lo and behold, 
they're putting hurdles up on the track for race one. Oh, dear me. So I finally got out of that one. Oh, yeah. I said, look, if I get hurt, if I get hurt, mate, I said, I won't be able to ride this bloke's cup horse. Anyway, the cup horse, the cup horse won, and I've never seen anything like it. I was the second favourite. The jockey on the favourite from nine to five, Monday to Friday, was a bank teller. Yeah. The jockey was a bank teller. Now, mm. when he arrived to ride, John, he had he, he wore glasses in the race like uh, like the bottom of a Coke bottle. <laughs> and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at him and he's, he's, put, he's taping them on with elastoplast so they'd stay on during the race. Mm. So I get out, Bob toes the legs and up. He said, look, there's only six runners. He said, do your best. Horse race always in a forward position. Of course, it was all pebbles on the track and dirt. Yeah. I had this brainstorm. I said, if I jump well, I'm going to go to the front, so I'll throw all the dirt back in Coke bottles' glasses. Mm. So I went I went to the front. I led by four and, went and won. And when we pulled up, this bloke's glasses, he couldn't see an inch in front of him. So <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> uh, great stories. I bet you can't remember the name of the horse you won the Port Moresby Cup on. Bella Tessa. Bella Cassa. Yes. Mm. Well, there's an interesting piece of trivia. John, I think Robert Thompson, and I'm not sure if they won the cup, but Robert Thompson and Steve Burrows and a few other jockeys did make the trek up there in the 80s, 90s, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you might have been the trailblazer, though. I must have been, yeah. But I really <laughs> loved it because it was inexperienced. Number one, but I got to go to the Kokoda Trail and oh, yeah. catch up with boys I went to Nudgee College with. So, yeah, it was mm. fantastic. Things slowed down a little bit for you in 1975, and you decided to look for a stable arrangement in the bush. You rang Barry Miller, who had a fairly big team in work at a place called Kunnamulla, Derby McCarthy country. Yes. Um, yeah, I was just drifting a bit. Granddad was starting to put the more high-profile jockeys on. As I said, I used to go to the Gold Coast nearly every Saturday, and I don't know, one one day I thought, I really want to go to the bush for a tree change. So I said to Dad, I ring Barry Miller. How you going, Baz? Alan Glogley. She said, go, Alan. I said, have you got a stable jockey at the moment? He said, you wouldn't believe it. Colin Aspinall broke his leg at Charleville last Saturday, and I haven't. Mm-hmm. I said, I wouldn't mind coming out for a while. He said, get in your car. So I said, Put Dad in the car. Mm. Nine hours we drove to Kunnamulla. Anyway, it was just an unbelievable time. And uh, I rode there in May, June, July of 75. Yeah. Uh, 75 rides, 39 wins. Yeah, phenomenal trot. Phenomenal win and rate. And they were, uh, yeah, and the, mill- the Millers were just, li- I lived with them. They're just a beautiful country family and, yeah, we stayed friends all our lives. Mm, you told me a story about evenings at the Miller household when a certain yeah. television show came on, everybody had to shut up and watch the TV program and one night uh, that viewing session was interrupted by a phone call. This isn't a great story. At six o'clock, we had to have dinner every night at the homestead because Bellbird came on at 6.30pm. Mm. On ABC TV and everyone in the bush, that was they used to watch it, and everyone in the city, I think, too. So we're sitting there, six thirty-five. The phone rang, and Mrs. Miller said, "Oh, no one rings when Bellbird's on." I said, "Look, I'll get it, Mrs. Miller." 
So I go out the front of the phone. Hello. Alan? Yes? He said, it's George Moore. Oh, I knew his voice. I said, George Moore? Hmm? He said, yes. What the bloody hell are you doing out in the bush when you won a 10,000 a couple of years ago? Hmm. Oh, I just explained to him. He said, how do you feel like coming to Hong where he was training? Yeah. How do you feel like coming to Hong Kong and being number two jockey to my son Gary? Mm. We'll talk about falling off a dining room chair or whatever. Mm. I said, oh, uh, right. Well, what, where am I going to see you or what's the arrangement? He said, come to the Gold Coast when you get a couple of days off. Mm. Come to the Gold Coast to our penthouse and have lunch. With person, I'll not explain it all. And you can say yes or no. Mm. So after all that, John, I said yes, and I boarded a plane to Hong Kong mm. in uh, August 75. Right. So professional racing had only just begun, hadn't it, at that time? Probably a few years earlier. Right, had it, yeah. You know, Jeff Lane, Leon Fox, Billy Burnett, Peter Myers, great jockey from um, Adelaide, uh, Glenn Pretty. Mm. So it was about six or seven expats there. Yeah. You were riding the second and third string horses from the Moore stable, and you got sick of that. It was a good experience, obviously, but not very inspiring. No. I um, and, and John Moore, he rode as an amateur as well, so sometimes mm. I was third in line. George would have two or three runners and races. Mm. But I was always on the 33, 40 to one chance, and then I'd come back after one run, fourth or fifth. Jeez, this will be hard to beat. George next start, I'd love to ride him. Well, you know who rode him, Gary. Yeah, of course. Yep. Look, we all left in very amicable terms and still are with the Moore boys, but it was just depressing for me. And you only rode twice a week, mm. Wednesday night and Saturday. Yep. And I was used to riding a bit more. And I was also, I got bloody homesick, John. Mm. You can go out to eat and drink and shop, but there's nothing else to do, you know? No. You made two great mates in Hong Kong, two wonderful Australian jockeys, the late Jeff Lane and Leon Fox, who's now in retirement at Inverell in New South Wales. You'd see Leon from time to time. Yeah, it's funny, John. The last time I saw him, unfortunately, Leon came to Jeff Lane's funeral on the Gold Coast. Oh, we're probably getting nearly two years ago now. Mm. Um, oh, they were talk about, it's a cliche, but gentlemen of the turf, both of them, mm. both heavyweight jockeys. That's why they went to Hong Kong, because the minimum was higher. And um, their family, Lindsay, my partner, um, we've all stayed very close. Uh, the wives, seen the kids grow up, etc., etc. But uh, those two, Jeff and Leon, gee, they had records to boast, John, didn't they? Mm. Outstanding. Outstanding. Jeff Lane, of course, was incredibly versatile. He was a stipendiary steward also in Hong Kong, wasn't he? He did the lot. Jeffrey was amazing. He jockey got too heavy. Mm. He was a stipendiary steward. He was a starter. Mm. And then he turned to training. Yep. Remarkable horseman. Jock, stand by there for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back with Alan Gologly after this. The inaugural running of The Invitation produced a stunning win by Icebath, who's been competing at the top level for a long time and thoroughly deserved this win, as did trainer Brad Widdup. Hylal got no favours in the $1 million Bondi Stakes, 
but still proved far too good for his rivals. Now the Westies are champing at the bit to bring the Golden Eagle to their beloved Rose Hill Gardens on Saturday, October 30. The $7.5 million four-year-old contest will be supported by the Classic Legend Stakes, a $1 million sprint over 1,300 metres, which also offers big win and place bonuses for horses who contested the Everest and the Sydney Stakes. Also featuring is the inaugural Four Pillars, to be run under midway conditions and designed to give unsuccessful Kosciuszko ticket holders a second chance to share in the big prize money. Rose Hill will be the host again on November the 6th for a meeting featuring the $1 million two-year-old race, the Golden Pendant, over the 1100 metres course. Co-feature will be the Group 2 Hot Danish Stakes for fillies and mares. The 2021 Spring Carnival rolls on. Well, back to Brisbane you go and you linked up with Grandfather again and you were riding winners on the Gold Coast and at Ipswich. In July 1976, you got a phone call from Hunter Kilner, a trainer on the Northern Rivers who invited you to ride all of his horses at the big Grafton Carnival in July. And what a carnival you had. Yeah, we won a lot of races. Um, You know, just the maidens, the improvers, but uh, Hunter was a, a betting trainer, so everyone got a quid. And at that carnival, there was a number of Newcastle trainers there, one Eric Sanford. Mm. And he was a bit persuasive, Eric. When he talked, he'd poke his index finger into your chest and you know, <laughs> finished up with cracked ribs. Yeah. And he kept poking me in nothing. He wanted to come down and try Newcastle. Mm. We're looking for a couple of, you know, Johnny Wade and Alan Scores and, you know, mm. there's after that. Oh, so I rang Lindsay, went home from Grafton to Brisbane, talked to Lindsay, and I said, it's Eric Sanford asked me to go to, go to Newcastle, try my luck. Mm. She said, well, again, tell him you come down for a month's trial. Mm. Okay. So away I went, drove from Newcastle, drove from Brisbane to Newcastle. I rang Eric and I said, I'm leaving tonight. Where am I going to stay? Can you find me? Yeah, he said, I've got the place organised. Mm. He said, you'll stay at the home of Elaine and Joe Quinn. Mm. I said, lovely. Put, wrote the address down. And when I got there, g'day Joe, Alan Glogley, Elaine. Elaine Quinn happened to be Vicky Lee's, Max's wife's yeah. mother. Goodness me. I said, well, 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 this, I'm, I couldn't believe it. And this is the time, John, a year or two, a year before Luskin Star. So away I went. Get to the track, first morning, rode uh, Eric Sanford's horses. He only had about eight or ten. Then I just kept going around the tie-up stalls. Mm. Ray Wallace, next, Paul Perry, yeah. Max Lees, Warren Edwards, Roy Hinton, et cetera, et cetera. So I just freelance. I rode yeah. you know, 10 yeah. or 12 every morning. Yeah, but you, you weren't yeah. lazy about it. You were more than happy to put in. Yeah, well, I was loved early mornings. And I loved loved um, loved the track work part of it, mm. where a lot of jockeys would ride four or five and go home to bed. Mm. Um, so I rode a winner at my first ride. I think it was at Cessnock. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of winners a week later at Newcastle, and flowed on, flowed on, as you said. Won a premiership here. Mm. Uh, Lindsay used to come down every. She'd fly down every second weekend to Newcastle. Mm. She had a business. In Brisbane still, 
So we decided, yes, we'll give it a go for more than a month, John, and here we are still. One hot Sunday in 1983, your great friend, Dr Owen James, invited you and Lindsay over to his place for a barbecue and a dip in the pool. Now, when you appeared wearing the swimming togs, he noticed a black mole on the inside of your left leg just below the knee, and he reacted with urgency. Yeah, um, how long have you had that? I said, oh, a few months. Does it worry you when you ride? I said, yeah, it bleeds a bit because it rubs up against the saddle. Mm. Okay. Come and see me at nine. This is Sunday. Come and see me at nine o'clock in the morning at my rooms. So I go up to the hospital, 9am. They do tests and tests and tests for about half an hour. I was on the operating table at 11am and I had a high grade, which means four and a half out of five, one of the worst, Mm. melanoma. Yeah, I know. So that did throw a spanner in the works health-wise and riding-wise. So, yeah, look, he said if I hadn't have gone that day, he hadn't have seen my leg that day, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have been here a year later. You wouldn't be doing this podcast. Yeah. No, I wouldn't be on the podcast. Mm. So, yes, that happened, and I I had to rest up and get a lot of um, appointments every month to check on it. So it took mm. probably nearly two years out of the saddle. Yep. Now, during that time, Lindsay started to scour the positions vacant pages in the local paper, and one day she circled one that looked promising. Now, despite having absolutely no qualifications, you applied for a job as a salesman at Rundle's Menswear Store. <laughs> I can see it now. How did that play out? Oh, geez. John, she's kept, as you said, circling the positions vacant every morning. And I was enjoying having two years at home. I loved to break. Anyway, here we go. Ring Rundle's on the phone number in the paper, yes. Well, we'll put you in for an interview to, uh, tomorrow afternoon. So down I go down the hill, five minutes walk from our place. Mm. Go down for an interview. Interviewed well. I thought I did. What experience you got? None. But I've had a great education and I love my clothes. And when I walked in there, John, mm. to do the interview, you'd say I'd come straight out of Mark Foy's window. Really? I was done up to the nines. Mm. Home I come. How'd you go? I said, I interviewed well, Lindsay, but I think there's about 20 people applied for this job. Mm. Right. Three, four days later, the phone rings. Alan, yes, it's Lindsay Rundle. Right. We're going to give you the job. Yeah. Oh, God, I've got to go to work, I said to myself. Mm. So, damn, you wouldn't believe it. I stayed there for a few years. Um, they were very kind enough to let me. When I got back riding, which was 285, I made a short comeback. Mm. They let me work, and if I had rides on day, they'd give me the day off or half a day off. So, yeah, I was in the menswear and um, adored every second of it. All the racing people used to come in and buy clothes. Mm. Um, I think Craig, Ian Craig and Paul Ambrosale were in the clothing game, weren't they? Yes, both. Both of them, yep. So... Yeah, that, that, that was a great era, John, a great era. 
We mentioned earlier that when you first arrived in Newcastle, you rode a winner first up at Cessnock, and blow me down if you didn't do the same thing on the comeback trail. Trainer was John Mitchell, horse's name was Delta Minstrel, and it was at the same track, Cessnock. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, Delta Mitchell bolted, and he was a good friend of mine, uh, the trainer John Mitchell, family friend. And uh, then I kept kicking a few goals in the country provincial. Mm. Won a race at Rose Hill for Max Lee's. Won a race at Warwick Farm for. John Mitchell again, Spinning Snow. Spinning Snow, birthday, yeah. Actually. Yeah, yes. Mum's birthday. Now, that was worrying you all day long because you hadn't yes. spoken to Mum to wish a happy birthday. So later in the afternoon, you had to do something about it and it was the late, great Tommy Brassel who organised things for you. Yeah, he, uh, I said it's Mum because he knew Mum well. It's Mum's birthday after I'd finished writing. I got a ringer somehow. He said, well, get here in the press room. He said, "Talk for as long as you like. Ah, talk for as long as you like." So that was a good. That was a, that was a magic day, and uh, what do about that time? Won a race at Canterbury for trainer here called Billy Vallis on orchestral. Mm. But John, my mind wasn't. I wasn't as keen as I was before the operation. If you know what I mean. No, going through just, the motions. Just, yeah, I just kept worrying a bit. Would it come back? Wouldn't it? And so I was decided to call it a day, mate, about um, 87. Yeah. yeah 87. Yep. Yeah. Alan, this is the opportune moment when we must pay tribute to your remarkable mum, Joyce, daughter yes. of Fred Best. She's 92 years old. She's yes. nothing short of remarkable, still lives in Brisbane, and does she love a punt? Uh, look. She's an amazing, amazing lady. Um, Ninety-two. Yesterday, I ring her every Saturday morning, mm. give her the tips, and uh, she finds her way. I said, "How's the weather?" She said, "It's raining up here in Brisbane." I said, "Well, you better stay home today." Mm. She said, "I'm ready with a raincoat and umbrella to go to the TAB up the road." Shut up! <laughs> oh, right. So, so she. She was at the races, John, until COVID hit every Saturday with a group of her yeah. lady friends. Mm. When COVID hit, she um, she now goes every Saturday. Mm. And Bart Sinclair tells me, John, that she sneaks up some Wednesdays and Thursdays too. Oh, does she? She gets up the tab, but she's betting in dollar each way. But it's more the company, mm. you know, getting up there and getting – I said to her once – can't keep looking. She said, I'm sick of looking at four walls. I said, well, get off your backside and start mm. going back to the races, which she did many years ago. Mm. So she has that company. She watches, you know, naturally like me. She's a tragic to have a bet on um, all of Chris Lee's horses. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you can remember back in the 80s. Mm. Oh, vividly. Now, remarkable lady. When in... you say that, mm. when you say that um, – Oh, she she doesn't miss a race, John. At Ninety two, Brisbane, mm. Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide. She'll go around with a little coin on them. Mm. God bless her. Well, when you quit the saddle, she was there Stradbroke time. Yeah, she was there Stradbroke time. I'll just see you this. Mm. And Stradbroke, she gets there about eleven. As soon as the gates open at the tab, eleven a.m. Mm. So Chris Lee said he had a runner on Stradbroke. They said, "Your mother, where'd she go to the race?" I said, "No, she'll be at the TAB." 
Mm. So Christian on his way to Eagle Farm went past the TAB and uh, dropped in to say hello unexpectedly. Well, she nearly fell off the seat. (laughs) 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 You know, it was around the time you uh, finished writing uh, the second time when you finally gave it away that other opportunities started to emerge. You forged an association with the Newcastle Herald and that led you to your own twice-weekly racing column. That started, that lasted, Alan, I should say, for a long time and you enjoyed every minute of it. I did. I, um, 1988, uh, was in limbo and I rang the Newcastle Herald sporting editor who I knew, Stuart Roach. I said, Stuart, you don't have a column on racing. I know you've got journalists there writing something Monday mornings and Friday afternoons. And I said, I'd like to write a column. You ever thought of having a columnist? He said, I'll tell you what, what are we? I said, it's August. He said, right, I have a Newcastle Cups next month. Mm. Write one column on the Newcastle Cameron Cup meeting mm. and I'll see how you go. Yeah. So I must have liked it. And I'll never forget, John, the, first, the headline at the column, Best Bet of the Carnival. Mm. And I put up Don't Play, trained mm. by the late Noel Doyle. Yeah, that's smart Won horse. the Cameron at eight to one. Mm. So that helped. So I was with the Herald for a number of years, number of years, but that – and I was doing track work then as well. I wrote track work in that column, mm. um, track work results. And that forged – me to just go a bit deeper into the media industry. I was picked up by um, the Sportsman, Radio 2KY in the 90s, mm-hmm. Prime Television. I was on every Friday evening and doing documentaries and etc. for them. So the 90s was a very productive year for me as far as finishing my career and advancing to another career which I love so much, racing. Mm. You were getting more exposure at the time than Bert Newton. <laughs> and in that, you wouldn't. I, I won a race, John, at Randwick. Oh, I know. A Villiers Day, nineteen ninety-four. I'm leading up to that. You were delighted uh-huh. to be invited by the AJC to take part in this novelty race called the Golden Oldies. It was a thousand yep. meter, wasn't it? Thousand meter dash for retired jockeys who could still sit on. The horses yep. were donated by trainers but they were given names relating to the horses the jockeys had ridden during their professional careers. And your mount was Ben Galilad, and he was nearly as good as the real Ben Galilad. How did that play out? Max Lees came to the rescue, didn't he? Well, naturally, all of us, Peter Myers, Teddy Dern, Gordon Spinks, Neville Voigt, Tiger Holland, uh, we all had to get a bit fit. So Max told me I could trot this chestnut round every morning um, and a canter around the bull ring at Newcastle. So I did that about for a month. He was an old benchmark, 50 horse, I suppose, in these days. Mm. So I felt good. I said, what am I riding in the Golden Oldies, Max? He said, don't you worry about that. Don't you worry about that. He said, I'll tell you, you'll be riding a chestnut. Not that one you rode this morning, but a chestnut. Mm. Righto. So away we get, get to the barriers, and, oh, geez, he felt good going to the barriers, his chestnut. So mm. 
I sat behind Malcolm Johnson. There's another who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Malcolm carried Kingston Towns colours, and the horse was named that. Yeah. And it was a cutaway rail he started around in 1994. Mm. So I sat behind Malcolm. Malcolm moved off with the cutaway was, and whoosh, got up. I went to the fence on this chestnut. Oh, and he, he won by about a length, a length and a half, but he was never going to lose. And you wouldn't believe it, John. The horse he put me on, alert me, mm. two weeks, oh, probably two months later, won a group three Clissold. At Canterbury, Felicia Crop was the jockey. And it beat, come on, mm. all our mob all, ran second. All our mob, correct. I remember the day. It was a bit of a shock. So, John, how good a thing was I in the Golden Oldies race? <laughs> you were tens on. <laughs> now, Alan, tell me about the two elite horses that you got to ride in track work, one of them in Queensland, the other one at Newcastle. And this is great dinner party material. Two of the best horses of their era, and you rode them in track work. Well, the first one was 1971. Phil Alotta brought Baguette to Brisbane for the Doom and 10,000. And he stabled with my granddad. So he said, can the kid ride Baguette for me every morning? Yeah, no worries. Little black horse, beautiful horse he was. Mm. Tuesday before the 10,000, Mr. Lotta said, let him run along 600 metres out wide on the course proper. Don't knock him about. I'd like him to run about 37. Mm. Okay. So I come back in and Mr. Lotta's was so angry. I could tell by his eyes and his face. Mm. What's wrong, Mr. Lotta? He said he ran 34. Oh, I said, geez, I'm sorry. I couldn't hold him any slower. Mm. It didn't matter, John. He he won by about six lengths on the Saturday with G. Moore in the saddle. Yeah. And the other one? Oh, it was called Luskin Star, I gather you mean. Uh, yes, that's the one I mean. Yeah, well, as I said, when I came to Newcastle and stayed with Elaine and Joe Quinn, Luskin Star was uh, probably just coming ready to get to the stables because he just turned two in got here in July. Luskin Star turned two in, yeah, August 176. Mm. So Johnny Wade rode him nearly all the time, and I was fortunate enough that Johnny went away to ride somewhere. Uh, he couldn't get back for the next morning. Uh, I'd ride him track work, and mm. again, Max one morning at track work said, jump on that chestnut over there. That's all he said. Mm. Yeah. Let him run along, same thing it was, three furlongs. Came back in, and Max looking at me. What do you think? I said, Max, five years ago, I rode Baguette in the gallop, and this horse went as well as him. Mm. He said, Oh, you're kidding me. Mm. I said, I'm telling you. He said, Well, my stopwatch showed that too, mm. and that was Luskin Star. Yep. First start, the Breeders' Plate by twelve lengths. Yeah, they had two divisions that day, John. I think. Yes, they did two divisions and. The following autumn, of course, he was brilliant in winning the Golden Slipper. Exciting horse to watch, and he must have been an exciting horse to ride, Jock. Oh, now, he, was so, he was so quiet, John, and he really knocked Max about when he got sold. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was purchased by Robert Sangster, wasn't he? And Bart Cummings yeah. took over the training later in his career. In closing, Alan, we must make special mention of Lindsay, your wonderful partner, who was a very talented fashion designer. She's got her own little business in Newcastle and she'll be getting ready to open up again. 
Yeah, she's um, she's uh, opened last Monday. Uh, yeah, Lindsay and I first met in seventy seventy four. She had a boutique in Brisbane. Um, she went everywhere with me, even Port Moresby, um, mm. Hong Kong, and that was the start of uh, another another venture for Lindsay because she bought all the fabrics over there, John, mm. and imported them back to Australia. So she's been in the business. Um, oh, I think the first boutique was in Adelaide Street, Brisbane, about nineteen seventy, about when I won the ten thousand seventy two. Mm. But she loves it. It's a hobby. She loves it. Yes. All right, Jock, we're out of time, mate. It's been a, a great journey for you and you've related the story in a very entertaining way. And we've mentioned names uh, throughout the interview uh, that I know will stir many memories for listeners all around Australia. Lovely to have you on the podcast, Jock Galogli. Thanks for your time on a Sunday morning. Been a pleasure, John. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. The English Bloodstock team believes the catalogue for the 2021 ready-to-race sale is the best ever. The amended date for the sale is Tuesday, October 26, commencing at 11am. 185 two-year-olds have been catalogued by some of Australasia's most influential stallions with a number of exciting new sires represented. Most importantly, these youngsters have been prepared by some of the most capable breeze-up experts in the Southern Hemisphere. The Breeze Up sessions are in full swing in Australia and New Zealand and you can access a high quality video of each and every workout on the English website within 48 hours of the gallop. At your leisure, you can make an assessment of tractability, attitude, action and potential ability of the two-year-olds of your choice. Over 400 individual winners have come from this sale since 2015 and between them, they've accumulated more than $60 million in prize money. For your hard copy of the catalogue, email catalogue at english.com.au or contact a member of the English Bloodstock team on 9399 7999. Remember, the 2021 English Ready to Race sale will be held on October 26th.